0: Welcome to Behind the White Scarves. Now, Spencer... Part of the reason why I was asking Lareda about what she'd want to see of Beatrix in a potential third Rama book, one of the key things about Steamheart was getting to see all these different characters from their own individual books interacting for the first time. Yeah. But now the idea of Beatrix getting to like actual conversations with Crow and Miguel, for example, was mm-hmm. something I was very curious about what Alex might do with that and how that would play out, you know, listening to it on the audio drama and everything. Mm -hmm. But for you, as you mentioned, we get one line and a little bit more from Haka in Panther Soul. Mm -hmm. But I remember I was asking you about this back during the first interview three years ago. Would you want to do more with him than just play him as a cameo in book three? Do you feel like with everything else that's
1: going on, is there more... more for
2: him?
0: The, not... the,
1: answer is, the answer is absolutely yes, because because he's almost a different character by this point. That's the thing is he has growth over the course of Tiger's Eye, but we've repeatedly seen he's growing off screen as well. And so by the time he comes back, it's that thing where it's like, I'd like to see the progress he's made. I don't think he's a complete character by now like he's not like that's that's the interesting thing about uh, i keep saying interesting again i'm sorry i know alex hates that um (laughs) he's shaking a bit of wood at me from the nearby mirror so yes uh oh you see him too oh thank god okay
2: we all Uh, see the alex
1: look man i'm trying to sleep sometimes and it's weird that he's still there shaking wood at me um (laughs) where did he even get it um hey phrasing Maximus is a complete character. He's done. His growth is over. He knows who he is. He's become who he is. You can get the gist that he might have, like, if you did a prequel, he'd be a different character, but he was he was very colo esque when he was younger. He, and that's partially why he likes Colo, is he sees himself in there. But Maximus has reached old age. He's finished his arc. He knows who he is, and he's fine with who he is, and he has no intention of changing who he is. He just wants to be who he is. Like, the only thing he wants to be is a slightly more successful version of himself. Like, he just wants enough money so that he doesn't have to worry about, you know, himself or his daughter. He He'd like to be remembered for something positive. That's kind of all he wants. But his character growth is done. Hakka, one of Hakka's defining traits was he was way too young for the role he was put into. You know, he was, I can't remember if I said it to you guys or if it was one of the interviews with Alex where Haka was kind of defined by that mentality of when you turn 19 or 20 and you suddenly realize how cringy you've been your whole, like how how wrongheaded you've been your entire life, especially in your teens. And you're like, oh oh well thank god i'll never do that again and then you turn 21 you're like oh god i was so awful in my 20s thank god i'll never do that again and you turn 22 and you're like oh i was so awful in 21 i'll never do that and repeat until you finally go oh this is going to be an ongoing thing isn't it Mm -hmm. like that's hakka hakka's place at the end of tiger's eye is that real epiphany of realizing it's like i'm the problem here i'm the one who's been wrong and his time with the Silent One is him just kind of going, OK, I know I was wrong, but now I'm better. And Silent One is basically, I think, just kind of very patiently teaching him the get used to that sensation, kid. And that's going to be most of what being a wise elder is, is thinking back on those moments, seeing other people start to make those mistakes and go, no, don't don't do that. Trust me on this one. That's what wisdom is, is it's it's taking your pain and using it to prevent other people from going through it. If you can, if they're willing to listen. Yeah, Haka being acutely aware that sometimes you're not willing to listen because he wasn't. All of sorry. a
0: sudden, I'm just picturing rewriting that moment during the the final chapter of of Panther Soul where Haka is acknowledging Harao's presence and just, you know, is, is inclining how sorry he is and how glad he is to see her. Instead, yeah. going, holding up a paw to her and going, It's me, hi,
3: I'm the problem, it's me. <laughs>
1: hi yes hello everyone it's me the problem <laughs> no and and it's funny you were like it's like yeah he has a one-line cameo and technically he's not even talking like it's just me voicing over the hit because he's signing it to her mm-hmm. so it's it, it really was alex basically be like yeah let's get him to say this line for the sake of it because i really wasn't necessary but yeah i'd love to do i'd love to see haka's progress basically mm-hmm. i'd love to see because especially when you know, Loretta was talking about uh, having to revisit some of her lines because the character's a little bit different. It's the same character, but they're not the same person mm. now that they were when when she voiced them before. And I that's something with Haka because part of Haka's voice, the performance, definitely was his subconscious bitterness at. Mm-hmm what he's had to go through and like what that very teenage, but also like very deserved sensation he has of, Oh, fine. Don't listen to me. I'm just the shaman. I'm just the, the, the wise one of the, of the thing, you know, that thing where it's like, I got left in this position and his time with the silent one has made him realize like how unprepared for that role he was. And so I'm very curious to try doing Haka so that he still is Haka, I'd very much like to try portraying him through the the lens he's had to see himself through of the, all right, well, how much of this is me and how much of this was me being way out of my depth and upset about it? How much of the voice and how much of Hakka is unique to him and how much was his circumstance? And that I'm trying to do that where it's like he's where it's the same voice, but the a very different character now. Also acknowledging that I think I think when Alex brings him back, you know, he's not going to be, well, I finished my character arc off screen and now I'm all good. It's like, no, I think when we see him again, he's going to be better, but still learning. And I think a big chunk of his progress is going to be being able to accept that he's still learning, that he's always going to be learning and that it's okay to be learning. And that's actually the best place for him to be.
0: Toby, you had a question in addition I about did. Haka
1: that I'm, yes. I am I
0: would like to have you uh, relate because I have a follow-up to it as soon as
1: mm.
2: Spencer
0: well, has finished responding.
2: My question to follow up from that is, given the importance that Haka places on storytelling of legends past, I imagine that he would recognize the significance of not just the Cloudbreaker, but have some sense of what the Smilotron once accomplished, so do you think there's a chance that he could provide some extra information to the group of protagonists concerning this
1: ancient tech and what its application could be? Entirely possible. I've, I've never... The interesting thing is I don't think Haka's a historian the way Maximus is. He's not right. a hit the books and learn about all these things. If he's like you know, if he's heard about Cloudbreaker it's through a legend and it's there's mm. a very there's a very real chance that Colo knows more legends about what the, about the Cloudbreaker and things like that than Haka does because his job was village shaman his legends are more tied up in the local it, rather than the global. Yes, the it's al- it's almost it's more his job to have analogous fables to teach lessons than it is to have historical knowledge, if that makes any sense. He's more about like, I know all these these stories so that I can impart their lessons to you way less than he's a researcher studying up on, oh hey, did you know there's a legend about this thing where it's like A, I don't think he cares, B, I get the vibe that that stuff just never reached the village. He doesn't have, you know, a bunch of scrolls and books to g- dive into. Anything he knows was taught to him by his mentor or just growing up listening to all these stories again part of part of haka's whole thing is he's kind of winging it I, haka's the type who i think would make up a story for the moment if he needed to whereas colo colo and maximus are both like no, no 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 we're very dive into the actual written text and they're much more hey did you know that there's a version of this story from uh Samaria and there's a version of this story from here and there's a story and, the, and the, uh it's interesting where they overlap and where they don't whereas Hawker would just be like there's different versions I only know the one because it's meant to teach this lesson like Hawker's is much more interested in the application than the fact of it I think that's that's the vibe I've gotten from him and also just the vibe I've gotten from the world building that you know Alex has provided because I I only know as much as the lines I get to read. No, it's true, but at the same time, it
0: feels likely that his time spent with the Silent One, because he literally asked her at one point, can you teach me how to be a better shaman? The, both of them have access to some ancient knowledge, the the stuff that Brask taught Hakka directly, and then, of course, all of the, uh, the imagery that was at the Fire Lion Temple that we got to see part of in Tiger's Eye, it occurs to me now that Haka has experienced. Oh, there is a wider world outside of Durga tribe. Would part of his growth potentially be? I need to start worrying more about just taking care of my own group. Or the idea, you know, that the um, that the Panther tribe leader was trying to say is that our group is now includes more than it includes all of the various groups of this continent and mm-hmm. we need to work together. So this might be an, an opportunity for him to like, okay, I'm gonna start caring more about all the stuff that Brask passed down to me in that context now, rather than the very personal context of, I need to protect people by doing things like killing Miguel and more like, I need to teach and protect people as we try mm-hmm. and figure out the meaning of these ancient stories together. My interpretation of it is not the be-all and end-all of that. Why are you telling me these things?
4: It is important to draw wisdom from many different places. If we take it from only one place, it becomes rigid and stale.
1: No, it's it's very again, his 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 story is very much figuring out, realizing his actual place in the world rather than the one he thought had been given to him and the one he was giving to himself, which is partially where his his sensation of being overwhelmed came from because he thought it was, you know, being the village shaman is, the most important, like the most important role in the village, in some ways more important than the chief, you know, uh, that got thrust upon him at a very young age. So to suddenly have the weight of the world on his shoulders and Miguel Hrao and Silent One have all done an excellent job and also his time aboard the slave ship of teaching him that it's like, A, this is not the most important job in the world. B, it's okay to, to not be ready for it and C, like realizing the, you know, Alex has said Mass Effect is a massive influence on this series so that that realization of oh this is not about my village my species my tribe it's we're all stuck here together we're all stuck in this world in this dimension this side of the wind door together and nothing like a completely unnegotiable alien threat to bring up to make you realize how pointless all of your little fights are Mm -hmm. like so I, I I think that is a very powerful part of his, of his <laughs> development. And it's partially why I want to see him come back. Because I'm, I'm very like, I want to see what he's like now and what he does with it, because character development is cool, but it's most interesting when it's like, all right, apply it. Let's see what new Hakka is like. Mm. Let's to go to one of uh, one of uh, Alex's other stated influences in um, Atla, uh, Last Airbender. It's the Zuko of like you started off angry and trying to screw over the main team. You can't just show up and be like, hey guys, I'm good now. It's like, no, you actually have to start teaching the avatar. You actually have to demonstrate (laughs) you've learned anything from Uncle Iroh.
3: I've been through a lot in the past few years and it's been hard, but I'm realizing that I had to go through all those things to learn the truth. I thought I had lost my honor and that somehow my father could return it to me. But I know now that no one can give you your honor. It's something you earn for yourself by choosing to do what's right. All I want now is to play my part in ending this war. And I know my destiny is to help you restore balance to the world.
2: We get 10 episodes of, we've worked so hard to get to this point now, let's see that applied. Yeah. And on the School of Movies Discord, the current sort of animated series that we're on and off watching through is the Green Lantern animated series. And there's a character in that which, is very much like that but they incorporate him and bring him into the fold remarkably early which means that you get him in the fold and applying that growth for a long while but what's interesting is as you were saying earlier when you want hacker to still feel like hacker even yeah. as you are seeing the progress seeing the growth but yeah in this instance you are seeing this very self-critical and self-hating figure in this character who's called Razor and Owl the Edge, who's this <laughs> red lantern in the show. And oh. yeah, and I can't recommend that series enough. And uh, I know that Alex is currently shaking, nodding his head in agreement as he listens to this, but
1: yeah, I can see him uh, in the mirror. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, these characters that we love to incorporate and love to see in all these different permutations, whether it's in like She-Ra, the Netflix one or in our house, just these previous antagonistic characters, not only seeing them grow, but grow to a point where we can apply that into this new situation.
1: Yeah. Hell yeah. I want to see more of Harker. Yeah. Cause I think that's actually a very like, not just for Alex, but I think that's one of the challenges for anyone writing characters in general is um, how much you can do with the character and how much how much the character can exist outside the story they were created for. Like credit to Alex. I think Haka is more than just his antagonistic role in Tiger's Eye. I think there's more to do with him, but the performance and his writing at the time was very much informed by what is his role. His role is the short-sighted hunter antagonist of this book. He's written to be the problem, but he was given enough depth and backstory to explain why he's that way and why it makes sense for him to realize he's wrong at the end. Whereas I think where you end up with one dimensional characters is where it's like, can this character exist outside of this story? No, then it's probably because they were they were written to fill a purpose rather than written to be a character. And I think Alex is very good at all of his characters are like, yeah, I can see them doing like the fact that we're sitting here going, oh, I want to see this person interact with this person is like, because we understand there's more to them beyond the pages that we were given. Mm. And we want to see that those parts of them come out.
0: Not that I want to step on anything that Spencer said. This was an interview after all. But I do want to add that sometimes seemingly functional characters can add something outside the story that they were introduced in. We already had a whole conversation months ago about how Hakka goes from just being an antagonist to a protagonist in Tiger's Eye. But New Century has always been full of small roles that have come back again, adding flavor and context to the world. The original voices of the handbook, like Tudor and Kaufman and Sadler. The returning characters of Conrad Jacobson and Corporal Higgins. Even the cat with the mohawk whose name we now know is Sykes, thanks to the story of Beatrix. Alex uses the evil lion's past characterization to inform on the gladiatorial pits in Leonidas, and as a result, makes his worlds come more alive. There will be some, like the cultist Senate, voiced by friend of the podcast Alejandro Vargas, whose role is fulfilled in the story they are introduced in. But I love Alex's tendency to reuse characters. Not unlike bringing back a very specific ingredient to a new recipe. The flavor of mohawk triggers sense memory of the previous story he was in. Yes, Alex, I made a food metaphor specifically for you. And if you like this tendency of Alex's, then wait till you get to the time travel story back in time plus space, where Alex is able to make use of characters we had not ever expected to see again. But let's get back to, well, if not Panthers Soul itself, then some further exploration of Spencer's characters.
2: Because even the nag, the funny talking horse, has (laughs) an application where you think, yeah, well, he could also be Rizzo the Rat in the Christmas uh, themes, and he can be this source of... Poignancy in uncivil oh, yeah. outlaw, and,
1: and like oh, yeah. it's because these characters have applicability. Part of that is because right off the bat, Alex pointed out like Nag is funny. That's not his defining trait, though. His his again, we said it earlier, but his comedy comes from he's he's a very deeply br- like it's that thing where I forget who said the quote, but there was someone who once said, "You never really want to be friends." with comedians because comedians are very broken, very angry people who have a bone to pick with the world. Nag's defining trait to me is his cynicism, his jadedness. Mm -hmm. And it's, Mm -hmm. which is funny because in the lines he's given, that's not what you see. Again, you see his humor, you see his exasperation, but you don't see how actually angry he is with, his situation and the situation the world's in and so it fundamentally gives him a depth off the page of like there is more to him because we're not actually seeing his driving force his driving motivation i I think it's interesting how alex plays with that because there's a lot of characters where their driving motivation is worn on their sleeve i think harry is one of those where you harry and arlington i think both have a thing where you know who they are immediately because they just very nakedly don't have time to be anything other than exactly who they are. They don't have the patience for the people who pretend to be otherwise, which is why I think it's fitting that Ale- uh, or that Arlington's nemesis, in a way, is Seth, who is also the same way. Seth looks at the world in a very like factual, like what he considers to be a very factually accurate of like here's the way things are. I'm not pretending otherwise. Fall in line or perish type of thing. Does that make sense? Is that Does that sound like he, an accurate, like, read? Yeah, it, um, like, it does. He yeah. strips falsehoods. Yes. Leaving the bare truth. And... Yeah, and he does, in that climactic bit, he does it to Arlington, where he's like, Arla- like, mm. Arlington nakedly wears himself on his sleeve, but it's like, yeah, but you have been lying to yourself or lying to the people around you, and I'm going to make you confront that because I don't have time for it. Like, mm. whereas I, I think it's and... interesting, like, a lot of the characters in this story like I said, Maximus knows who, who he is, but a lot of the characters here have that thing where it's like there's there is hidden depth to them because we're not quite seeing. We can see we can glimpse exactly who they are, but that's not how they express themselves. And
2: there's a ticking clock in this story that's introduced mm-hmm. almost halfway through, which is the fire. The literal mm-hmm. trial by fire mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the finale is not something that they discover only upon arriving. They get a pretty good idea of what it's going to be halfway through and they know that there's no getting around it they have to face this and that is almost a literalization of what seth is doing which is i am going to strip any self-delusions away and have you confront everything that is absolute about yourself
0: i'd say that the blue flame is not about the capital t truth but about a character's personal truth. But we'll discuss that more when we do a deep dive on Panther Soul itself, which will be in, fuck, at this rate, 2027. I'll see about turning this stuff around faster again. But moving along.
2: Honestly, I, I wanted to take this opportunity to ask you a question that we didn't have here. Do you think that Maximus could have survived the flames if he had reached that point?
1: That is a fascinating quote. I think that, you know, I honestly don't know. I was about to say, I think younger Maximus could have, but I then again, he hasn't fully developed into the Maximus we know, that's the problem. Younger Maximus was almost in a weird way, a less rounded version of Kolo. Um, hmm. And I'm going off, you know, I don't know that for certain, but I, that's how I interpret it of like a lot of Maximus's depth comes from his age and his experience. So Mm. you have to, so if you strip that, it's the thing where it's like, yeah, he might've been colo, but colo is, as is frequently seen with traumatized characters, is unnaturally mature and deep for someone his age and for where he's at in his life. Mm. And I think that's a big chunk of Kukolo is and I actually think I I always interpret that in like the trials by fire and like these civilizations who leave behind these trials they're like yeah they were purposely leaving this for someone who's like kind of messed up because they're going to understand how to use this power better rather than like that rather than someone who's who's never faced hardship in their life Th- that tweet about like man why do why do adventurers and D characters always have these messed up backstories it's like because well-rounded people don't go out to hunt dragons and it's like yeah we're not leaving this, we're not leaving this power to someone who spent their life running a vineyard left to them by their parents like <laughs> i don't that's not who i want in charge of the cloud breaker like it's the yeah.
2: doctor leaving the super soldier serum in the hands of Steve Rogers.
1: Yes, I trust you with this type of thing. I don't think younger Maximus could have pulled off. And older Maximus, I think, has enough. I don't think he could pull it off almost out of the out of his sense of like, no, 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 this isn't meant for me. I'm not the protagonist here. I'm not supposed to have. So his- he, it's
2: not a matter of whether he could have. He just knows that. This should not
1: be him. These days, I hate quoting anything by J.K. Rowling, but it's the sorting hat thing where it's like, part of it, the decision is based off of, do you think you should have this? Like, do you think his internal, like, I don't think this is meant for me is the defining thing of like, well, then it's not. It's not meant for you if you don't think you should have it.
2: A different point of uh, reference for that, if you don't want to go down that route, is in the first Matrix film of, the oracle saying oh, to yeah. Neo, yeah because
1: yeah 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 la- yeah, i'm telling films, you exactly what you need to hear type of thing yeah yeah
2: by later films it's like okay so neo is the one but at yeah. that first bit spoilers she, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just this whole lengthy thing and one of my favorite things about it is that in that first film she never says you're not the one it's Neo who says that. And she says, sorry, kiddo, because at that point he isn't because he
1: doesn't believe he is. Exactly, exactly, exactly.
0: Honestly, the thing that comes to mind for me is almost um, when we're talking about knowing your place in the story, but also having the wisdom to understand and maybe potentially forgive yourself a little bit for things you've done in your past, is during Age of Ultron, of all things, where they're, like, passing around trying to move the hammer, and Natasha, Jerry, just wisely says, oh, no, that's not a question I need answered. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. obviously, Natasha at that time is a different place than to how she is when she finally sacrifices herself in Endgame. Mm -hmm. But I get the overall impression that whether or not Maximus should be wielding this power and maybe as you say he understands that he's not the one to take up that burden because it is a burden but he also feels like at this point he might have left behind enough good in comparison to whatever evil he's done in his past that he might be able to forgive himself in a way that say Stardancer or Beatrix can't.
2: He points towards seeds of good that he sees within the others, and that is enough to help them through. I think the height of your purpose is ahead. Yeah, he knows that he sees it.
1: Yeah, he knows he's here to help others fulfill their potential. He's almost the in a uh, Treasure Planet, the Longjong Silver analog. I- I think uh, it is
2: just called Long John Silver, is, is right? he,
1: I can't remember if they changed his name in Treasure Planet. It's been a minute since I've seen that movie. Yeah. But, but his his speech about the the light coming off of you, and I hope I'm just there someday to get to bask in it type of thing.
2: That moment is mm-hmm. like one of the best things in any Disney animated film, right? Yeah, like,
1: I actually think that moment is what makes people think that movie's underrated.
2: <laughs> mm. <laughs> there is but, a, yeah.
1: a character who's very like Beatrix in that, actually. Mm-hmm. Come to yep. think of it yeah yep. well and i i know you know alex had to go through and review all of the disney movies again so i think that might that might have been a not necessarily like a direct influence like he's like i'm copying that but it might have affected part of how he wrote some of the characters mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh where he's like because i know alex alex and i both have a bit of that um vibe of like this was good, but, uh, I know how to fix it. Like, I mean, he fixes stuff on his podcast all the time. Like where he'll Mm -hmm. like, just go into like, here's how they should have done it. And it would have been better. And you're sitting there like Like... it would have, he's correct. But he and I (laughs) both have that vibe of like, where we'll watch something a little bit flawed, like treasure planet and be like, this was a good idea. I'm going to make the better version now. Mm-hmm. with the is he actually finishes his projects but
2: the, the, <laughs> that, oh that's far too harsh
1: uh it'll be too harsh the moment i actually have a finished project to direct you to until the, then <laughs> it's just correct
2: i completely
0: understand the feeling of unfinished projects but on the other hand at this point toby and i have finished a great deal and the only reason that uh we've slowed down well there's many reasons we've slowed down But, you know, at the very least, with three years under our belt, I felt like I've earned a little bit of time to not go so hard every week to put out new content because we've left already an uh, an incredible legacy behind us. But at the same time, it's like,
2: then I have... That is our announcement that this is the last episode of... No! No,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bigger thing, honestly, is that whenever we get to interview y'all... It's to be like, oh, God, these are some really good conversations. We need to put these out in the world so people Mm. can hear these awesome people talk about the various things that they get to talk about on our weird journey discussing this one thing that we've decided to talk Mm. about above and beyond anything
2: else. I always say that what Greg and I do like when we don't have company, it's still something I would describe as a conversation because we are in this thoroughly unique position as people discussing a series of literary works and these bodies of performances. We are in such a unique and privileged position of being able to express our own thoughts, but tap into the mindset of the people behind it. And these interviews are that feeling made literal, where we get to talk with you guys and it is just one of the best things to be able to get to do. So thank you.
1: Thank you. I d- never occurred to me that I'd get to be interviewed for anything I ever did, let alone this stuff that I, that I was just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I feel lucky to be helping Alex. Like mm-hmm. I, I talked about this on the last one, but I would, I just signed up as fanboy of his stuff on the original forums of where he was looking for help. That's- and I was like, Hey, I actually know how to do this, but I'm just a huge like I had recently discovered his podcast, and it's like, oh, this is my favorite podcast, and I can help out Alex, and I get to talk to him directly, and I still have that a little bit where I'm like, oh my, like like he'll hop on, like like anytime we talk, I'm like, oh my god, you're Alex from the po- from um, from the podcast, and he's like, yes, Spencer, we've been working together for like ten years at this point. Yes. <laughs> it's um, it's
2: always uh, that's always the feeling I get, and it's just like. Okay, how many years have I actually been able to like, talk with Alex, and I still go like, "Oh my yeah. god, the voice on the podcast can hear me back." That voice from that one episode of extra credits, yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> like, every once in a while, it just kind of hits me of like, I'm a legit voice actor because I've actually got a pretty sizable body of work thanks to him. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Like, like, I think that's the thing all all three of us and Loretta kind of have in common is like the, we have a huge chunk of our, well, I mean, Loretta actually does things outside of voice acting, but uh, we actually, we have a huge chunk of our work that we can point to that's because of what Alex did. Well, we've got a couple more questions
0: here before we say goodbye. We've talked about so many different aspects of Panther Souls so far, but I'm curious if there is anything that we haven't already got into that is Panther Soul specific that you are particularly proud of Was it just being able to die magnificently, dramatically, or is there something else?
1: No, I, you know, the the unique thing about this that stands out to me is having to do the like Muhammad Ali chants and rhymes in time with the go tell your mama that that whole stuff. It's funny to me how even when there's no one listening and you know it's correct, for some reason that kind of stuff embarrasses me and I don't mm-hmm. mean like oh I'm embarrassed to have done this for Alex it's like the that's the level of naked emotion and excitement that I find like like I almost that I'm always like sorry sorry guys I like I feel awkward doing that even though I know it's completely correct in the moment and if I go for like I have to completely commit to it because if you'll hear if I'm not committed and the character cares, like that's, that's one of those weird words. Like I, Spencer doesn't get it, but the character does. And that's the part that matters. So he has to go for it a hundred percent because he believes it, he's doing it and it matters to him. But that's the part like dying is one of those like, oh yes, dramatic dying. And as you pointed out, I've done it before, but that part was the newest, like, oh, this is the weirdest part for me. (laughs) Mm. you're talking to someone who doesn't understand sports and understand getting that excited about them like Mm -hmm. so i don't understand that level of enthusiasm or anything but if anything i had the semi-british response of the what is all this naked enthusiasm going around stop it stop (laughs) it reserve yourselves
2: you almost channel coach from punch
1: out in that moment (laughs) just yeah Get him, Mac (laughs) Yeah, uh, exactly All right, Mac, now what you have to do is When his pants drop, get him in the stomach Yeah, exactly (laughs) (laughs) I want to play that game now He's going to blink five times And that's when you need to start blocking
2: (laughs) (laughs) Punch-out's a weird and brilliant series Oh, it's
1: it's one of those ones Where I'm I'm always fascinated to see If I can uh, apply its lessons to Completely, uh, like, wildly different games Of, like I mean, it, I mean, Dark Souls is a big chunk. of it just... I was about to say, I
2: think I applied the lessons of punch out to most bosses in Elden Ring.
1: Yeah, because it, it's I mean, because it is the same thing of just it's trial and error, learning what telegraphs what and mm. what you're supposed to do about it and what your windows are and how quickly you need to react to things, because. Mm. You know, game design is my whole thing. So I'm fascinated by the idea that Punch-Out and Dark Souls and all the Borns are basically the same idea of you actually have an incredibly limited repertoire of moves. It's learning when to use which ones at what moments for the maximum mm. effectiveness. Whereas your opponents have an absurd amount of abilities, but they all come down to, is this a dodge? Is this a block? And in what direction?
2: You even feel that from some of Kodo's narration during mm-hmm. the chapters that are all about him learning how to be a fighter and you see that in action
1: his like weird blend of being both muhammad ali who's just this incredible savant powerhouse and floyd mayweather who is a technical master who just absolutely understands this sport better than anyone else to the point where it's like i don't i don't have to knock you out i just have to beat you and i can beat you Mm. by just not getting hit I wasn't expecting this conversation to go in this direction. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Again, I hate sports and I don't know anything about them.
2: Um, <laughs> I like sports anime. That tends to, yeah, give me...
1: I, I like the theory behind sports to, to get on a personal yeah. soapbox. I'm bothered by how often sports are dictated by, were you born with the proper genetic makeup for this sport? No, then you don't get to participate in this sport. That kind of thing bothers me, but I get fascinated by sports that are much more technical. Like I find Floyd Mayweather fascinating that he figured out that you can technically win all your fights without ever having to throw a punch. I'm fascinated by League of Legends and people like Faker. If you ever go into that scene, archery interests me. Like, like gaming sports tend to interest me because they tend to be more about skill than I don't know. I was born five inches taller than the next guy, so.
0: We talked about this last time about the idea of how would you make New Century into a video game? If we yeah. focused completely on Colo, then we could literally yeah.
1: turn it into Colo's. Rama punch out. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually think the strength of new century is Alex is being smart by leaning into a strength of new century that Marvel has now left by the wayside with their original vision of the multiverse or of just, just having the shared universe period was the idea that you can tell any story you want as zoomed in as you want in these universes. You can have this be, you know, an Indiana Jones slash boxing adventure set in the cat world of new century and we never have to mention the fact that there's fire slinging dwarves and a talking horse in one of the other dimensions or Mm. that there's cowboys fighting zombies in another one by the way a manticore like Mm. we don't have to involve all of it all the time and i actually think I, i and i think that is the correct direction to go where it's like i recently i've been thinking about my own projects and how they're set in a sprawling multi you know like like universe that's all about interconnectivity and how i actually think one of the more interesting things is the way you try to show the world through the very specific lens of a very niche thing and how those niches fundamentally branch into each other. Like um, I have a story right now I'm working on. That's the story of tyrants and rulers and things like that through the lens of the person who makes their clothes and the Mm. weird, the weird balance of power of I can make you look like an idiot, but you can make me, you can have me executed. So, or that's good. I think exploring power through the lens of the, quote-unquote powerless is interesting like there's another one i have same universe similar idea but it's from a playwright as opposed Mm. to let's tell the story about these superhuman gods where it's like like from the perspective of the people with the powers where it's like yeah that is that would be interesting but like i think it's interesting to tell the story of tiger's eye from krau's not a uniquely powerful person in the world she's just the one who ended up in the charge of this of the human child Mm. so one of my
2: favorite lines in the book is just when colo is pursuing leah and in his narration he makes a passing comment about oh if i was like a hunter this chase would be over by now and it's just mm-hmm. alex tipping his hat to say look i know we've introduced colo as the new hotness and everything these are not cats that are particularly like you know escalating yeah. power levels like it's a dragon ball yeah. z anime no, or something no, like no,
1: that no no if it, no, if anything, I, I have the my anime Mortal Kombat brain constantly wonders. <laughs> the first thing I learn about t- tends to be whenever I find two similar characters to the, yeah, but who would win in a fight? And I'm pretty sure Harao would actually roll Kolo. Like, he's supernatural in in this universe, and I still think Harao would kick his ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, they're both well, slightly supernatural at this point, but they yeah, definitely I mean, have different strengths.
1: Yeah, uh, but yeah,
0: I, yeah. I will say to be slightly off topic here, but more in line with the kind of stuff that you vibe with, Spencer, I'm suddenly really picturing the idea of a video game where you are the clothier for a bunch of different people in like a fantasy environment or a mm-hmm. cyberpunk environment mm-hmm. along the lines of
1: like coffee talk or yeah. VA11 Hall A. These were inspirations for what I've been thinking of because because the plan was to be a game where it's it's like, "Oh, this is a game about making clothes." Absolutely. And don't pay attention to the fact that there's a whole bunch of commentary in built into that. Like the the fact that that it's like you have to make decisions about how well do you dress the guy who's treating you like an asshole but has tremendous power over the fate of you and your friend. Papers, it's like,
2: please.
1: are yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Papers, please. This is a, This is a game about mm-hmm. checking documents, right? That's absolutely yep. what this is a game about.
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, ex- 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 that's what I'm working on. He says, as someone who is still learning how to use RPG Maker, but like, you know, I'll get there.
2: Even updates about this just send them my way. I'm already <laughs> I, on I board.
1: Talk to you in like five years. I have ideas far beyond my actual technical capabilities ahead of time, and I, I'm sure. That's part of Alex's process is he had ideas for, you know, he was probably thinking about Panther Soul while he was still right. writing Princess Thieves and stuff like that. And he was like, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there. If you
2: aim for the stars and you try to jump as high as them, if you fall short, you'll still reach the sky.
1: <laughs> or burn up on re-entry.
2: are <laughs> not mutually inexclusive. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so after mostly being on the back burner, as far as New Century has been for a while, we know that... You're gonna to have to come back to playing Frank Butler in a big way, yeah. but it's gonna be—it's gonna be a very different Frank than we're used to at this point. And I was kind of just curious whether that was kind of in the back of your head as you were playing out Maximus, be like, "Oh yeah, this is a really fun character. It's a way for me to warm up to playing a significantly less fun Frank Butler in uh, Nightfall of the Wendigo."
3: hmm. Mm.
1: Well, yeah. And I, I was thinking about that. The interesting thing where um, Haka's character is progressing forward, he's becoming a better I think we can all agree an all around better and more rounded character, whereas Butler's kind of regressing in a way, mm-hmm. but he's not even really yeah. regressing because he's entering a state he's never been in. Butler was never this bitter and angry. I was just thinking about the interesting relationship we have as readers with fiction where. People regress and go back on their character development all the time in real life because Mm. we don't have a linear progression of improvement. Whereas when a character does it, Butler has like one of the only excuses we're fine with, where it's like with a character or a fictional thing, you have to inflict trauma on them. Otherwise, it's considered bad writing to have them backtrack on their development or become a worse person. There has to be a reason why and in this case he has a completely justified reason but i think we're all agreed and that we're like yeah but we're expecting him to get over it at some point right it's like mm-hmm. he'll either get over it or he'll die angry i i just find it fascinating how we all just kind of come to expect that out of our fictional characters where we just expect them to always be improving always stay true to who they are, but we also expect characters to be realistically written when realistically they're allowed to like in a weird way, the Game of Thrones finale is realistic and yeah, like, oh yeah, everyone's stupid and they all backtracked and they and they did wildly irrational things. And we're all and but we all went, But that's bad writing. That's bad. I'm I'm tangenting a little I'm I'm kind of just voicing an out oh, nice. but it's just Mm. It, it is, I, I, all of this is to say, I'm very interested to portray broken Butler for a while, but I don't, but I think we all kind of internally don't think he's going to stay that way forever, that this is a temporary mm-hmm. thing because that's just what we expect out of characters. But it wouldn't surprise me if Alex is like, no, he lost the light of his life. That's not a thing you just recover mm. from. You You don't, it's not the, well, the most important thing in my life died, so I got better. Because mm. in real life, actual Butler was kind of never the same after he lost Annie. You know, Mm -hmm. the real butler, they say that his last years were like, yeah, he was still a showman and, you know, he wasn't a broken shell, but he was never quite as light as he Mm -hmm. used to be.
0: I hadn't even thought about the parallels going on there, but I think I even remember reading about that at some point when I was digging deeper into the actual history when toby and i were covering steamheart and looking at the similarities and the differences on mm. uh, everything along the way looking at another real life example i think about george carlin and how much darker his humor became after losing his wife to cancer
2: it feels like it's not necessarily about butler getting better or that he's going to come out of this and be more akin to what he was before I think he will remain as he is, but be a better version of that. That's not to say that he gets better, quote unquote. It's more to say he carries this still, but he manages to strengthen the things around that, the things that still survive.
0: I mean, he was one way at the beginning of Steamheart after his then wife and children died. And he... It was on some level pure luck that he was able to come back from that and find first meaning in serving the RSA and then meaning in being Annie's husband. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, much like the story of Kolo, this is the next of his lives, his life after Annie, which he didn't think that he would necessarily have.
4: So begins the fourth of my lives.
1: Yeah, but, at mo- at most he probably considered life after Annie is like, yeah, like the two or three years when we're in our eighties and she happens to die before I do or something, and mm-hmm. not a few years after we, we got married, type of thing.
0: Uh finally, even though you've all played characters in Rama, that might be different from your individual preferences. So I want you to take a moment to think that if you yourself were a cat in Rama, What kind of cat would you be? (laughs) And what part of Rama, based on what we've seen so far, would
1: you want to live in? This is all just a trick to get me to admit I'm a furry. Um, (laughs) See, part of the problem is I've always identified with Haka so closely, so he's actually very close. Part of why I'm excited about the idea of bringing Haka back is because I've always thought... Haka with the self-awareness, like like Haka at the end of Tiger's Eye is was kind of where I saw myself in real life when I was recording that. Funnily enough, I'm actually like less patient and forgiving these days than I was when I I record when I recorded back then. I'm now more like old, old Haka where I'm like, nope, kill it. It's weird and different and I hate it and it's bad for everyone. (laughs) I'm way less patient than I used to be. I feel like the past few years would do that to anyone, though. It's probably Tiger just because. Out out of all the big cats, I'm a big sucker for I'm a sucker for tigers. But then, it's so interesting because because they have so many like wildly different cultures mm-hmm. in Rama, which he's, he which I say knowing that it's like well because that's how it is in real life. Like again, it's inspired by like we've got colonial Britain and we've got
0: the conquistadors of El Gato.
1: Yeah, and 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 you know like the you know Hakan Rao's civilization is heavily inspired by you know in, indigenous Africa. So. Mm-hmm. Especially pre-colonial, but um, Haka is just so close to like what I what I would want to be doing of like oh learning teaching being a storyteller and also magic because I am a sucker for being a wizard who also knows how to fight with a sword with a sword type of like so because mm. I think I, it's one of those things of like oh yeah reminder that that Haka Haka is also a sorcerer basically we do get bogged
2: down so much into the drama of just. The people and how they grow and how they interact, that you forget, oh, right, shit, they can do magic
1: oh right yeah oh right the potu thing right yeah
2: (laughs) it always comes back to the potu
1: that was a running gag amongst all of the white scarves for like i mean partially partially because i kept making it a running gag but it was a running gag amongst the the entire white scarf group for like a year and a half like my icon on skype was a potu just giving the what on earth are you doing expression out at the camera (laughs) for a while and then Uh, I started using Skype for slightly more professional things. And they're like, what is your icon? I was like, you know what? I should change that. So now it's my face. There was, a, there was at least one behind the White Scarves where I was a POTU and everyone slowly changed their icons. We were all POTUs for that entire conversation.
2: <laughs> I think I remember listening to that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and like, you could hear it happening during the interview where it was like, like like I think it was like Matt would start talking and then you'd hear a little giggling because once he started talking, his icon would pop up and that's when everyone <laughs> realized he was now also a POTU. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Anyway, it's Alex's fault for putting the idea of a potu in our heads because none of us were thinking about potus until he brought it up.
0: Don't think about a potu now. Everyone's a potu.
1: (laughs) Do not think about potus. (laughs) Inception noise. Spencer, thank you so much.
0: As it always is, it's been a delight. But like on some level, I've been waiting to to have you back on again because it's been. A long ride since we've had you back. And I don't know how much Maureen has gone into this necessarily, but I wanted to say that, you know, to a certain extent, we owe you kind of a debt for uh, bringing the energy and bringing the fun to that first interview. Because if you hadn't enjoyed it quite so much, that it's entirely possible that Maureen and I might never have met, and you know we're kind of married now. So thank you.
1: And <laughs> that's a good thing, right? That's this is the thing you're thanking me for, right? This is the thing I'm thanking you oh, for. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you're you're holding up your wedding ring like this is your fault.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, Nareen being in my life is honestly
1: one of the best things about it right now. I think all- I think that story is so friggin cute like it's hearing about that after the fact because i the hilarious thing was i didn't know about that until i have a friend who's in the i'm not in the discord but i have a friend who listens to these interviews who's in the discord and she was the one who told me that you and like really hit it off and i was like that's precious i love that story
2: (laughs) (laughs) what it boils down to is you know those Memes of someone setting up a domino, and it's just these increasingly bigger dominoes, and it will yeah. on one side show seemingly innocuous act, and on the other side, it's something
1: yeah, like just, like world changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it, for me, it always comes down to I started writing reviews for these books on my Tumblr blog, which then led to oh, like there's this other guy who's a fan of it maybe we'll start a podcast and then eventually the domino is two people across the world in a different country are now married. Yeah.
1: <laughs> podcast about pretending to be a dwarf and a cat and a British person leads to. <laughs> now at this point,
0: I can hear everyone asking, hey, we heard just from Spencer for the last 48 minutes. What happened to Loretta? Sounds like you're doing wrap up now. Well, As referenced at the end of last episode, she had to leave early, and then I went on to record some follow-up questions with her that we hadn't gotten to last time. Sadly, I had to do it without Toby, and I feel like the overall quality in the banter and content suffered without my co-host present. But here is the cream of what I skimmed off the experience, so that we can have some wrap-up with her as well. When I was asking you about what you wanted to explore with Beatrix's story, honestly, one of the things I'm most curious about, now that she's on this path to redemption, and we get a little bit of a hint of it uh, at the very end of Panther Soul, I'm very interested to see how conversations and changing relationships might come about and uh, uh, sort of a little bit of the way that all the characters interacted in Steamheart, how she would, or if she would even want to develop new relationships with, say, Hrau and Miguel.
3: I think she she wants to to be friends with them. Like she she would like to interact with them more, but at the same time, she's she's always going to be a little bit hesitant. I think it's going to be along the lines of like, I'm so sorry for what. I did and for what you had to go through. And she'd kind of let them take it from there. Like mm-hmm. if she can help them from the background, she would, but like it would be very difficult for her to approach them on her own. It's kind of like that whole thing with the bully turned into a friend. You you feel that, you know, they feel that guilt. Of, oh my God, this is what I did to you. I can't believe I did that to you. Mm-hmm. But wait, I can help here. And maybe this is how I can redeem myself. But if, if they came up to her afterwards, she would accept whatever friendship or acceptance they offered.
0: One of the side things that I was always curious about, and I was kind of disappointed that they weren't more involved in the ongoing story, although the story was chock full of characters at this point, during that first chapter, two of the people that were captured on the whale, Liseth and Rickish, are now crew members on board the new pirate vessel. We know from the story that Beatrix initially joined the ship just working under Marco, and then at some point she ends up rescuing the ship and He hands off the mental leadership to her. But I find myself wondering, were they already crew members before Beatrix joined? And if they weren't, would, would she have had the bravery to like, oh, I recognize you. Look, I know that we have a history, but together we have a chance to do something good. Without necessarily knowing like the backstory on that, how do you think that played out coming across not... Crow and Miguel, but coming across people that she might have recognized or that recognized her long before Colo and Leah and all of that was even an issue.
3: With a whole lot of alcohol and bravado. <laughs> because you got to remember, too, mm-hmm. that a lot of these tribes, quote unquote, sold their own.
0: Indeed, there is a relevant line from the end of Tiger's Eye. That is an allusion to the real-world history of the slave trade, where the lions plan to do trade with stronger tribes and ask them to capture slaves themselves to sell to Albion. And in Panther Soul, there is also this moment from Beatrix's story.
3: We take a dozen slave ships in recent yesterdays, bringing hundreds back to their homes. Some of them I am deeply Ashamed to admit, our familiar faces. Snatched more than once by my wretched brethren. That said, like, they may have been sold by their own families. Mm -hmm. Or they may have found out that their families, their tribes were ever done. You know, like, they, they could have been, you know, killed off by a whole other tribe. So, it could be that, like, she just went up to them and, like you know, had to have a few drinks first on one of the nights where they would, because, okay, so something else that they did with sailors Mm -hmm. in in the English Navy. And uh, this is, this is later found out in other different naval practices is that they would have them dance. They would teach them like they would learn to dance. They would learn to sing. They would learn to, they basically to exercise. A, it kept them spry and B, it kept them from going crazy. It could have been on one of these nights of socializing and, and, and being around each other, you know, she could have gotten a, a couple of drinks and downed, I'd like to think a whole bottle of port. And um, <laughs> and, and just gone up and been like, look, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry was as horrible to you as I, I was. I'm sorry. You know, I was part of the group that got you into this situation. I think we have a, you know, we have a common cause here with a common captain. I don't know if you can forgive me in particular. But I would really like it if, if we could be united in this cause. And, you know, like once once you've worked with someone enough, if you don't become friends at the very least, you call each other colleagues. You know, you're not... There, there have been people I've worked with that I don't particularly like in any sense of the word. But you have to be civil to each other because there's a job to do. And personal feelings don't come into, like... Not, not just that they don't commit to it, commit to it. They cannot commit to it. Mm. Um, there are there are like different tropes or whatever about st- soldiers and 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 captains and all that where you know one soldier has a vendetta against another and will mess up missions because they're trying to get that other guy killed. Mm-hmm. And they end up on the chopping block themselves because you know the captain, the leader, whatever isn't going to have it. He's going to be like, look, no. I don't give a shit about who did what. You guys deal with that on your own. But at the end of the day, I need all of you, and we've got a job to do. Get your head out from up your own ass and get in line.
0: It actually speaks a lot to the bonding that Beatrix might have done with her crew members because she picked them out of the entire crew to come with her on the quest and maybe the quest itself did matter to them because of the importance of the Cloudbreaker in their own culture in their own mythology and everything like that but when i look at that confrontation when shrike intercepts them
3: the serpent has a new captain
4: says beatrix defiantly and as steadily as she can Rickish nods, pride in his captain upon that face. I wonder if I could ever be as brave as that.
0: It it just suggests that something turned them around on that and viewed Beatrix, at least, as worthy of the respect to lead them, even unto their deaths, if that's what it takes. And it probably killed her that she chose them and that they died... Just as a, an object lesson, as opposed to fighting to the last breath, that mm. she, she picked them and this is what it came to. Like, I think it all of that kind of piles on a little bit. It's bad enough when Shri kills her father, when she has to go through seeing Kolo almost beaten to a bloody pulp and everything like that. But even before that, she's carrying around Liseth's and, and Rickish's souls with her as being like, I did
3: this well, I mean it's it's the kind of the same principle as with um, if you remember, I guess in centrum with Annie and Carl, yeah, I kind of feel bad, like just as myself, for Carl's death because Alex was going to pick a a, a random character mm-hmm. to be my companion. And I was like, well, what about Carl? What's he doing right now, you know, like he needs something to do. Oh. And I didn't realize at the time what Alex was <laughs> intending. And after that happened, I was like, Alex, you bastard. I liked Carl. You we know, like he's come Carl, a long huh? way. He's come a long way. You know, like what the hell? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that somewhere like Carl actually survived and he's actually running a bathhouse under a different name. Like he's actually like styled himself as like a sort of male madam. Like, welcome to my bathhouse. <laughs> Um, like, where did your where did your voice come from? Oh, I got stabbed in the lung a long time ago. Don't ask about it.
0: We've covered a lot of different things at this point uh, going over Panther Soul, but I'm curious if there's anything that we haven't talked about already that you're particularly proud of in terms of bringing Beatrix back to us in this new incarnation.
3: There was so much going on, it was just overwhelming, I guess Mm -hmm. even while I was doing it. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Anything and everything just kind of for me just I I can't decide. It's Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, I I would love to to have actually like gotten an image Mm
0: -hmm. of
3: Beatrix's face when she sees when she sees our our little lynx, you know, piloting this massive (laughs) titan of a of a Mecca. I guess there was um the, the jealousy that she kind of felt just a mm-hmm. little bit at the back of her mind when when she realized what kind of relationship colo and, and dancer had i I know that feeling
0: mm-hmm.
3: having you know having having been with someone and then near the person who used to be their lover you know mm-hmm. it was just it's hard because you know that relationship is over but you also know that it was like that. It was even that it was there. Mm-hmm. So seeing that and being around that was like for, I, I mean, I know for her, it was, it was difficult.
0: In case it's not clear with the pronouns here, Loretta is saying she understood this experience was difficult for Beatrix, not for Stardancer star dancer or Theo.
3: Doing that through her was just, Oh Lord, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to deal with this. Here we go. Let's go into that memory, you know? But I mean, at least, at least in Beatrix's case, you know, they're not together anymore. I mean, they are, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, they got back together. And I had to, I had to bitch slap a couple of people. But you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was it was interesting. Like I like that Alex puts real relationships and real people into this thing. It's not just we're not just a bunch of talking heads, we're not just a bunch of talking tropes. These are actual people. And what I like about Alex's work is that that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to make actual people.
0: Mm -hmm. To end off on, now that you've played all these characters in Rama, you might have preferences that are different from that. And so the question I was asking for everybody was, if you yourselves were cats in Rama, what kind of cat would you be, and what part of the world would you want to live in?
3: I don't know. I think. Hmm. I'd, I'd probably be Shal.
0: For those that don't recognize the name, the character of Shal, also voiced by Lareda, was the daughter of the Amaya tribe leader Shala, first introduced in Tiger's Eye, and later revealed to be Kolo's father at the end of Panther Soul. It tickles me that she has such a fondness for this small character from both stories, and speaks to Loretta's earlier comment about Alex writing people, and how one small panther can make such an impact on the story from only a few key moments.
3: Um, either that or I'd I'd be a lion. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd be one of the uh more eccentric lion lionesses, you know, like just kind of Jane Austen type, you know, just like these people are stupid. Let me write about them. <laughs>
0: Critiquing the society from within it, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: I, I like my comforts. I like my creature comforts just a little too much. Um, either that or I, I would be I would be an exploratory type, kind of like Maximus was, would be like, okay, this is not my story to be in, but it is my story. Like, I get to tell it
0: mm-hmm. for you.
3: You know, like, come in here, have a cup of tea. I don't care where you've came from. Just sit down, tell me your story, have some cake, get some sleep.
0: And the brushy brushy.
3: Exactly, the brushing, brushing is the most important part. (laughs) You know, I mean, if I could, if I could be a god in that world, that'd be great. Like, I would just be like, no, no, come here, come here. Wait, what? What's this? Why are you? Oh my god, that feels. Keep going. Keep going. That's right. I know you needed this. The hell have you been? Shit's been crazy. I'm sorry. I can't control everything. There's only one of us who's fully omnipotent, and he's an asshole. I heard that. Sorry, Dad, but not sorry. <laughs> like, just.
0: And what the hell? Here's a few extra bits that I removed from the original recording.
3: It's a very elegant word. Now, excuse me while I, I go over there, lift my leg, and clean my crotch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. You're you're. I, it's the Judy Dench part
3: again. It's yes. It's very much like like that's the thing about cats is like they're such you know you look at them they're such elegant animals but at the same time you're just like the fuck is wrong with you
2: (laughs) these books are good high quality stuff and a lot of people would enjoy them so no like you know like
1: like really like really truly like there's there's Mm -hmm. famous series out there that i i've tried reading um uh, that I won't name drop that sort of truth that are nowhere near as good as what Alex has put out. And I'm like, why does that get a really terrible TV series? Alex deserves a terrible TV series. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'd be satisfied with something that no.
0: is really well made. No,
1: even if... he'd, 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 he'd have it in his contract where he gets to oversee, develop. Like he would, I don't think he would trust other people to make his show is what it comes no. down to. Now the uh, the only
2: instance the... would just be like, hey Guillermo del Toro said that he's interested, and then at that point Alex would still say, okay, but I'm gonna have to check over everything. I
1: was I was gonna I was gonna say it's like Guillermo del Toro's interested. It's like oh good, he'll appreciate the notes I have for him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but more like it's a little bit like Neil Gaiman being like, do you know how many bad versions of the Sandman I had to protect everybody from?
1: Yeah, it it was yeah. stressful work. I I wish upon Alex the need to stop New Century from becoming the original Super Mario Brothers movie of like having to stop people from being like, all right, so it's a cyberpunk version. And it's like, what are you doing? What on earth did you not read the source material? And I I wish that for Alex where he has to go, no, no, stop trying to make bad versions of my stuff.
2: So in that version, would it be Seth?
1: Who's the strange Trump analog villain yeah seth Seth is seth is played by a horrible ai tarkin version of dennis hopper
2: (laughs) okay a little while ago we actually had this thing of coming up with the absolute worst adaptation of of a new century and (laughs) just the stuff that would all like specifically jab at alex's buttons and it was just like having jai courtney as (laughs) involved and all these things and how jai, Cor- the-
1: jai courtney as arlington <laughs>
2: <laughs> and all the reviews call it interesting
1: <laughs> and then uh. also you have to do a thing where the where the uh, the audio isn't mixed correctly because boy oh boy does he <laughs> care about that <laughs> all the dialogue is 80 yard on bad mics
2: Oh, and the the color balancing is all wrong and you can't oh, yeah. see it. It's like in the theatrical run of Solo where you just couldn't see anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also uh, and also, the third act is a gigantic pre-vis fight against a monster that wasn't in the books and has no emotional connection to anything that's happening.
4: He's got to fight a giant spider in the third act. <laughs>
0: Alright, uh, now that we're done tormenting Alex with coming yeah. up with all of the- <laughs> We are never done
2: with us. tormenting Alex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's finally it for another episode. This was originally going to be the part where I was gonna ask Maureen some questions as well, but the timing wasn't good on this, and I also want to do it with Toby. Because I don't feel the same spark is there without my partner in crime. So I'm going to wait on that until Toby is free to do it properly. Next time The first of many episodes of the All Shaws Behind the White Scarves. But to round us out, some more Panther Soul bloopers, followed by a cover version of a Linkin Park song that makes me think of the dramatic fight scenes at the climax of our story. Till then, we'll see you around the multiverse. Uh,
4: The light is going through the jewel. Ah, The light is going through the jewel on top. It's coming
3: out the one on the side light is going... I'm sorry, she sounds so excited, it's getting me grinning. (laughs)
4: Like, basically, us being excited will excite the listener. Mm. (gasps) uh, (laughs) I'm sorry! The the light is going through the jewel on top and coming out the one inside! Like, you don't even have to be all that legible for this one just as long as it's excited.
3: (laughs) (gasps) The light is going through the jewel on top and turn me but take your time and watch where the light's falling
4: do turn me again the rest of it was fine, but just turn me
3: (laughs) turn me peasant
4: turn me (laughs) fat pause (sighs) turn me there's another gem in there right so the moment that the beam hits there's a bright flash and we may be standing directly so like jackpot (laughs) Jackpot. Really extend the pot. (laughs) Jackpot. (laughs) The more you do it, the more you extend it, the more people will love the carry. (laughs) Jackpot.
3: Jackpot.
4: Longer. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'll conduct you. Ready? Jackpot. Jackpot. <laughs> and then just do the T at the end. Tea. Jackpot! <laughs> <laughs> it's close enough. It'll do. But you may not kill your opponent, nor deliberately
2: break that Ah! Six, six, six. 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 six.
3: six. 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 Leah scowls, retrieves the cicerone. Is it cicerone or cicerone? Down at the hotel, Cicerone. Cicero. The down at the hotel, Cicero Pop. Six. Which no. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'll be able to do it in two different ways. That's what she said! Fuller.
4: <laughs> she is so direct. I like her. It's not for me, Miss Kitty. It's for the king. He'll pay handsomely for it, of course. And I would definitely like to inspect this legend of the deep up. He'll play handsomely for it, of course, and I would definitely like to inspect this legend of the deep past up close. <clears throat> All right, let's see if I can do prickly. I've got to get back into the, back into the carstairs voice. Here we go. That might be a bit too breathy. We'll see. We're at least fairly sure we'll <laughs> open If you can assist us, it would make things a lot less time clean. Fuck. Shouldn't we extract information from the lynxes?
2: I, I'm sorry, but I want to extract information from the lynxes! <laughs> okay. <clears throat>
3: Inside, and even though I tried, it all fell apart. What it meant to me will eventually be a memory of a time when I tried so hard and got so far. But in the end, it doesn't even matter. I had to fall to lose it all. But in the end, it doesn't even matter.